Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. I'm so glad you are with us today for Mariners Online, no matter if you're watching from home with a group of people or you're at your office, wherever you are, welcome. I'm excited about jumping into this study together today. A couple weeks ago, my youngest daughter, Evie, was working on homework, and I was sitting in the same room as her, and she looked at me and she says, Daddy, um, what is fertility? In this moment, I'm, I'm like, Lord Jesus, please give me the words to say, and I, I started this really awkward paragraph about um, some kind of way to answer the question. So I said, Evie, um, it's, um, you know, there's when mommies and daddies want to have um, a child, uh, you know, like there's a couple of times, there's a time of month when the mom is most fertile and, it, and it's like there's some eggs involved, but it's not like Easter eggs. And Evie, what, what, what are you studying? And Evie looks at me and says, soil. Dad, we're studying soil. <laughs> oh my goodness. It is always important to be sure you know that you're on the same page about the words that you are using And today, we're going to start looking at some scriptures in the book of Revelation, and I want us to be sure we're on the same page about what we are talking about before we start this study, as we're going to look over the next several weeks in this incredible book, the book of Revelation. Now, it's known as the book of Revelation. It's not known as the book of Riddle. And some have been afraid of the book of Revelation because they have thought it's a riddle, Like I've got to work really hard to figure out in my own ingenuity when all of these things are going to happen. But it's not the book of Riddle, it's the book of Revelation. And Jesus is the one who reveals himself to us. He uncovers how things are going to be in the end. And this was a book written to a real group of people who were living through um, a traumatic time in under the rule of the Roman Empire. They were being persecuted for their faith. And John, who wrote down the Revelation, was one of Jesus' best friends, a disciple. He had been exiled to an island called Patmos. He writes down the Revelation, and it would have brought deep encouragement to God's people who were suffering under the Roman Empire. They found hope, not in predictions about when Christ would return, but they found hope in the person of Jesus who rules and reigns over everything. They they did not place their faith in charts that would dictate how everything's gonna happen, but they put their faith in the Christ who's gonna come and fix everything for God's people, who's gonna pour out wrath on all evil and end evil once and for all. This is what we're gonna see over the next several weeks. I wanna be sure we're on the same page. This is the uncovering of God showing us what things are gonna be like in the end, the end of this world as we know it, and also the end of our lives, the end. When I go on vacation with my wife Kay, every time she she, uh, brings some murder mystery books, it's the genre that she enjoys the most when we're on vacation. She'll go to Barnes and Noble, pick out several, and we'll sit on the beach together and Two hours into vacation, I will see, I will see every time I'll look to the side and she will flip to the very end of the book. And I'll, I'll always make some snarky comment like, 
you're really ruining the author's intent or you're messing up the story. And Kay will always respond and say, I enjoy the story more when I know how it ends. I enjoy this more when I know how it ends. Now, Kay's not the only one. There is a whole television channel dedicated to sports fans who watch sports shows even though they already know the ending. This is the ESPN Classic show where you can watch your favorite team if they win an epic victory against another team. You can re-watch the classic game on ESPN Classic. And you already know the victory. And because you know the victory, the difficult times in the middle of the game, they don't phase you. They don't phase you at all because you know the victory is coming. You know the end is victorious. And that's what we're going to see over these next several weeks, that we don't need to fear at all the end as described in the book of Revelation. It's not a riddle. It's this glorious statement, this uncovering, this vision of what the end is going to be for the people of God. And so if you are new to Christianity, new to exploring the Christian faith, this is a really good week for you to tap in because you're going to see not only the ending of the scripture, but you're going to see how the beginning and the ending connect. You're going to see really an overview of the story of the Bible and how it brings us to this incredible ending. So the book of Genesis is the first book in the Bible. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And when you look at the Bible, you see that there's a lot of similarities between the first two chapters in the Bible and the last two chapters in the Bible. So this is the first two chapters in the Bible right here. I got my extra thick Bible today because I'm going to be flipping a bunch, but this is, this is it. This is the first two chapters. Things were perfect here, the first two chapters. The third chapter in the Bible, we, humanity, messed everything up. And so this is how much of the Bible is living with all of our mistakes, our foolishness, our sinfulness. And then you get to the last two chapters in the Bible, and you're going to see a lot of similarities between the first two chapters and the last two chapters. You're going to see today that the ending of the Bible is really an even more glorious beginning. But, but gosh, the beginning, these two chapters, it was, it was really glorious. So let's see how all of this connects together so you'll get a real good understanding of the ending. And the more you understand the ending, the more you can live through the messy middle. Just like my wife enjoys the middle of the book more when she understands the ending, you'll enjoy the middle of this life more when you understand the ending. Just as sports fans can watch ESPN Classics and endure through painful plays in a game because they already know the ending, you will be more likely to endure through trial and difficulty when you know the ending. You can handle the pain of the messy middle when you understand the glory of the ending. So, first two chapters, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 of the Bible. Last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. So let's look at this together. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Scripture says this, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, 
as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil, a river went out from Eden to water the garden. Now, let's go look at Revelation 22. This is the last chapter in the entire Bible. You're gonna see some similarities here, and I'm, I know you're excited because there's a board behind me, and I'm gonna draw this up for us. Then he, this, this is God showing the revelation to John, who is writing it down. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the midi, middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the good word of the Lord. Genesis chapter one and two, the scripture opens up in paradise. Revelation 21 and 22, the scripture concludes in paradise. Paradise regained. In the middle, paradise is lost. At the end, it's regained. In those passages we read, you can see some common language. And this is really fascinating. You see the tree of life in Genesis one and two. And the tree of life, Adam and Eve who are in this garden are enjoying the tree of life. It's nourishing them. And then you get to Revelation 21 and 22 and you see the tree of life again. This time, the tree of life is not nourishing Adam and Eve. It's nourishing all of the nations. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see a river and the river goes out from Eden and waters the entire garden. In Revelation 21, 22, you see a river, but the river doesn't only water a garden, it waters everything. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see Adam and Eve, they are reigning in the garden. They are stewarding this garden. God has given them in charge of the garden. Now in Revelation 21, 22, we see that God's people are reigning not over a garden, but over all of creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see that Adam and Eve are with God. They're with God. In fact, uh, theologians say that the garden is actually the very first temple because Adam and Eve, they walk with God in the cool of the day and they enjoy being with him in um, the very first temple. So they're essentially priests who enjoy God's presence. They walk with God. And then you see at the very end of the Bible that we are also with God. The scripture we read in Revelation 22, we have his name on our foreheads, which is Old Testament language found in the book of Exodus about priests who are in the presence of God. So all of us now have his names on our foreheads. We see the face of God. We are with God. And so here we are uh, as his priest. Paradise is regained, the last two chapters of the Bible, the first two chapters of the Bible, this incredible beginning. But what happens in between, you will see, and you will see how everything that happens in between brings us to the incredible ending of the Bible and the ending of your life and the ending 
of what is coming for God's people. So what happens in between? Well, as I showed you, things go badly. The third chapter in the Bible, the third chapter in the Bible, we disobey God. And when we disobey God, the curse enters the world. You see this in Genesis chapter three, verse 17 and 19. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, God tells Adam and Eve that the ground is cursed. Look at Genesis 3, 17 through 19. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by painful means of labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you were dust and you will return to dust. The world now is, is cursed. Um, sin has entered the world. Sin has entered and we have death and we have despair. We have division. We uh, live lives that are filled with angst and, and, and we long still for things to go back to how they were before sin entered the world. And notice what God then does after sin entered the world, after the ground was cursed and this world was cursed, God actually expels Adam and Eve from this glorious paradise. Look at verse 23 and 24 of, of the scripture here. So the Lord God sent him away, sent Adam away from the garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken from. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim, that's angels, and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So the curse enters the world and the tree of life is now inaccessible to us. We are gone from being able to live forever, which is actually God being really merciful to us because we weren't meant to live forever in a world that is cursed in bodies that are broken. Eternal life was meant to be lived in eternal glory with Jesus, not in a world that is filled with pain. Just last week, I was playing basketball with some guys on Sunday night, and there was a guy sitting on the side who videotaped um, a, a move that I made, which in my head, this move was awesome. Like I did a spin move and shot, and then he, he, um, he sent this video and I watched it. And I was, I was like, was that in slow motion? It, it, I looked so slow, my, my vertical leap was like this much. I mean, it was so bad. And my body, the older I get, it is just, it's falling apart. I mean, I'm not meant to live eternal life in this body that is broken, in a world that is filled with pain. If my body at this age is already starting to fall apart, what would it be like if I lived forever in this body, in this world? So God blocking the way to the tree of life was actually God being gracious because he wants the ending. He wants us to have eternal life in the ending not in a world that is filled with pain and turmoil and loss. So we were kicked out from the garden. We live in a cursed world. And there is, since then, a longing for us to get back. There's a longing for home. We know deep down that not everything is right. There's a sense in us that things must one day be made new and whole again. J.R.L. Tolkien, famous author, he said this, we all long for Eden, and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentleness and most humane, is still soaked with a sense of exile. Basically, even on our best days, we know things aren't right. We long for paradise. 
Another artist, author said something very similar, Axl Rose, take me down to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Oh, won't you please take me home? Guns N' Roses, come on. Axl Rose sang about that and going down to the Paradise City and people thought, surely, because the band was based in LA, that Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose was talking about LA being the Paradise City. But Axl Rose said no. It was actually his desire to go back home to the Midwest. The city of LA hadn't quenched him. As great as Southern California is, it's not the ultimate paradise and we are still longing to go back home. We are longing for here. So what happens in between? Let me, let me get us from here to here as quickly as I can. The ground is cursed, the world is cursed, we long for home. God still loves us even though we walked away from him. So God, in, early in the Bible, finds a family to adopt as his own and that family turns into a nation the nation of Israel, and God decides he wants to be, he still wants to be with his people. So he begins a temple. It was a tabernacle first, then the tabernacle became a temple. Um, and in the temple, there was a high priest. And the high priest could go into a section of the temple and the tabernacle before known as the most holy place. Now, the reason God is doing this is because God wants to be with us. So God was with Adam and Eve in a garden temple. The, the ground is cursed. God still wants to be with his people. So he starts this temple and the most special place in the temple was known as the most holy place or the inner sanctuary. And that is where, where God's presence and man would meet. Now. I want you to see what this most holy place was like. The interior of the sanctuary, 1 Kings 6, was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, 30 feet high. He overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the cedar altar. 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. It was a perfect cube, a perfect cube. Hmm, so hang with me. What's it? We're gonna see where this goes the most holy place where God and man would meet, a perfect cube. Now this is the temple system and it is set up for God and man to meet, but just like Adam and Eve walked away from God, we walk away from God, the priest, that whole system, those people, their hearts weren't focused on God. They constantly went after little G gods, things other than him. So the curse continues. And one day God dragged his people away into Babylonian captivity and the temple was destroyed. And so the temple that they enjoyed, it was destroyed. And there's this prophet named Ezekiel who has a vision about a future temple, okay? So here's Ezekiel's vision about a future temple. And this is Ezekiel chapter 47. This is a vision from God about a future temple. Now these people are thinking their temple now in that century is gonna be rebuilt, but Notice, mm, you're gonna see something. This is a different kind of temple. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple. Hmm, all kinds of trees. There's trees again. Providing food will grow along both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. Each month, they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for food, healing, 
their leaves for medicine. So this temple, what is this going to be about? I'm giving you a little hint right now. Giving you a little hint right now. That's Ezekiel's vision. They think it's going to be about the temple right then. It's not. And then we get to Jesus in the Bible. Jesus comes and Jesus says that he is the temple. Jesus calls himself the temple. In fact, the the um, Gospel of John about Jesus entering our world uses this incredible language about Jesus tabernacling, basically taking on human flesh. So God is with us. The presence of God isn't a temple we go to. The temple came here for us. John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. Jesus even said, hey, listen, this temple, referring to himself, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up on the third day. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're going to kill me. I'm going to walk out of the tomb on the third day. Jesus comes as God with us to be with us. And when he died on the cross for us, he absorbed the curse in his own flesh so that we could be forgiven. All right, so you keep reading the Bible and then you get to us. Now, this is really fascinating. We are called the temple. When you get to, this is a John chapter one, uh, this is 1 Corinthians six. In the scripture, we're called the temple. Look at 1 Corinthians six, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God? You are not your own. You're not your own because when Jesus died on the cross for you, he purchased you to make you his son, to make you his daughter. And when you trusted in him, the spirit of God, moved into your life, you are now where God dwells. This is, all, this is beautiful. But you still live in a world that is broken. So the curse of sin has been removed from your life because Jesus took the curse of sin upon himself when he died, but you still live in a world that has the curse. You still live in a world that has the cursed. You still live in a world where you are longing for home, ah, and then we get to the incredible end of the Bible. We get to the story of the Bible concluding the book of Revelation. Jesus came the first time to remove the curse of sin from our lives so we can be forgiven. He's going to come a second time. We're gonna look more at this next week. And when he returns the second time, he not only removes the curse of sin from our lives, but he removes the curse of sin from this entire world and paradise, which has been lost, is regained. So let's get, remind ourselves of this glorious end. Revelation chapter 21, I want you to see what happens here. Verse um, one through five, John writes the revelation that God gives him. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There's no more curse here. Grief 
crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He comes, he will return, and he will make everything new. Now notice, the verse does not say that he makes new things. He makes everything new, and there's a big difference. I make new things. This is a new sermon I'm preaching today. I worked really hard on it. I created um, this message. I made a new thing. I, I um, will get some succulents from um, a garden and put them in, in a pot. I will make a new pot of succulents. I can make some new things, but I can't make everything new. And Jesus, when he returns, he will make everything new. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more crying. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more divorce proceedings. There will be no more relational separation. There will be no more trauma. There will be no more more pain. All, All of the tears will be wiped from your eyes. Paradise is going to get regained. In fact, it is so beautiful when you see what happens in Revelation 21. Remember, remember this, most holy place, God still wants to meet with his people. He starts a temple and the most holy place of the temple is a cube. Hmm, look at verse 15 and 16 of Revelation 21. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and its width are the same, a cube, a cube. When Christ returns and makes everything new, it's no longer gonna be a garden where the presence of God is. It's no longer going to be the most holy place in a temple. The entire cosmos, the new heaven and the new earth, God is going to dwell with humanity. The writer of Hebrews in the middle of the Bible said that the earthly temple was simply a picture of the heavenly temple. And in Revelation 21, heaven comes down. The presence of God is with us. We enjoy his presence forever, which is why the end is much better than the beginning. The presence of God isn't in a garden. The presence of God is covering the entire cosmos. There's no more pain, no more tears. This is the glory of the ending. Now, maybe you're, you're thinking, okay, it was really, really good in Genesis 1 and 2, but you know, Genesis 3 is when everything went badly, when the curse entered the world, and the curse entered the world because Satan got into the garden and tempted Adam and Eve. Will that happen again? It will not happen again. Not this time. The ending is better than the beginning. Notice this, Revelation 21, verse 27. Nothing unclean will enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those written in the Lamb's book of life. We'll talk next week about what happens to those who aren't able to enter into paradise. But for those of us who are, those of us who know him, we've been rescued by the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb who was crucified on the cross for us. He has secured us, made us his sons and daughters. Our names are written in his book. We belong to him. We enjoy everlasting 
paradise. The tree of life is no longer guarded. We eat from the fruit of the tree and we live forever. We enjoy the presence of God. The river sustains the entire garden city. We rule and reign with him and we enjoy his presence forever. And Satan will not be able to enter this everlasting paradise Everything is going to be protected. The end is better than the beginning. The end is better. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. Healing. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. Our longing is fulfilled. There is no more curse, no more curse. The tree of life, we now can enter and eat from the tree of life once again. The temple is not located to the small, most holy of holies, but we are in his presence over and over again. The temple that Ezekiel envisioned where there's healing and we are enjoying the fruit throughout all eternity. This happens here. Jesus, his presence is with us at all times. Here's the reality. The best for you is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Sometimes that statement is overused. A coach, after he leads a team to a championship, will stand in front of fans and players on the parade day and say, hey, we're going to do it again. The best is yet to come. Oftentimes, it's an overpromise. A leader of a company, after a banner year, will gather the employees together at the Christmas dinner and say, the best is yet to come. And oftentimes, it's not. Oftentimes, that statement is overused. But for you, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The ending is even more glorious than the beginning. And you can handle the pain of the messy middle because the best is yet to come. For you, child of God, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. No more grief, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more strife. Everlasting paradise. The best is yet to come. No more curse. The curse forever removed. The best is yet to come. No more relational trauma, no more relational strife, perfect harmony with humanity and with God. The best is yet to come. Complete healing, healing physically, healing emotionally, healing for the nations. The best is yet to come. What we now know, a dim reflection, we will see in full. The best is yet to come. We still live in broken world with broken bodies that are falling apart, but the best for you is yet to come. You have in you this angst that there has to be something more. 
You had a banner year as a sales guy, and yet it, it's not satisfying you. The best is yet to come. You lived with angst because Christmas wasn't what you hoped it would be. You were disappointed the day after. The best is yet to come. Every longing you have will be forever fulfilled. The best for you is yet to come. Jesus comes and he makes all things new. He doesn't just make new things. He will make everything new for the people of God and we will enjoy his presence forever. Paradise will be regained. The best is yet to come. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.